man and woman of God in Christ but struggling, God does not regret saving you. He doesn't regret it. You haven't surprised Him. You cannot surprise Him. God is not watching where you are now, watching how you've struggled this week, watching how you stumble and fall, and regretting the decision to pay the price for you in full. You have no sin, past, present, and future, that has more power than the cross of Jesus Christ. None. This means that your salvation wasn't just a past event alone, but that Christ even now is continuing to save you. He didn't forgive your past sins, and now leaving it up to you to conquer present and future sins. Which means it doesn't matter how you came in here. It means God can rescue. It means God can save. And it means for those of us who are in Christ, you do not disgust Him. You do not disgust Him. You don't know what I struggle with and how deplorable it is. Um, I know that Jesus would say that he paid the bill in full, and so what you're saying is nonsense. That is the grace with which he lavished on us in his forgiveness. Good morning, everybody. You 11 o'clockers, you. If you haven't met before, I'm Pastor Dan and Pastor Discipleship here at Grace. And we are continuing our I Am series. That's not I Am, that's what Popeye says. This is our I Am series, and we're going to be talking about forgiveness this morning. Wasn't that a powerful video? I'm so thankful that I don't disgust God. Anybody ever been disgusted by themselves? Yeah, pretty much, but I do not disgust God. He gets it. You can't even surprise Him. Have you ever thought maybe sometimes, well, maybe God didn't see that one coming? I'm pretty sure he sees it all coming. He knows what we're made of. But there is forgiveness. Just by way of review, Pastor Eric set us off and started us on a great note saying, I am because you are, several weeks ago. And then Pastor Mike followed up with that with, I am chosen. And then last week, Pastor Tim brought us, I am adopted. This week, we are going to focus on, I am forgiven. Can you guys say that with me together? I am forgiven. Doesn't that sound great? That is the most freeing thing that could ever happen to any of us, that we are forgiven. Because forgiveness is a huge part of our identity in Christ. We are the forgiven ones. If you are in Christ, you are forgiven. Not the perfect ones, the forgiven ones. There is a difference, yes? We will never be perfect, but I am forgiven because God has forgiven me. So let's start with this one. Number one, I am a forgiver because I have been forgiven. We have been forgiven. How did this forgiveness thing happen? What does the Bible have to say about forgiveness? Well, I'm here to tell you from the very beginning of the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden all the way to the end of Revelation, when every last prophecy is fulfilled, the whole storyline is about forgiveness and redemption. It's about God's plan of redemption for humankind. The whole Bible is about that. So forgiveness is all through the Scripture. It's the whole theme of Scripture. It's the whole theme of the Bible. So what, how did this happen? Well, Christ purchased our forgiveness on the cross. He purchased our forgiveness on the cross. Isaiah 53, 6 is a familiar verse. It says, all of us like sheep. You ever thought of yourself as a sheep? You know what I know about sheep? They're dumber than a box of hammers. That's not a real compliment to us, is it? But we are like sheep. I am like a sheep. I am easily led. I'm easily led astray. I need to be, I need to be corralled. I need to be, to be shepherded. So it says, 
All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet, the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. So God the Father put the sins of all of us, everyone who's ever lived and breathed, on his Son on the cross to purchase our salvation. And the price was blood. It was blood that paid the price. It wasn't money. It was blood that paid the price. Hebrews 9.22 says, In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So blood flowing was required. Remember in the Old Testament, before Christ came, what did they have to do to get forgiveness of sins? Anybody know? They had to sacrifice. Every year they had to bring a sacrifice. If you didn't have much money, you could bring a turtle dove. If you had more money, you could have a sheep or a calf. But somebody had to bring everything to be forgiven, and they would slaughter that animal on this altar, and the blood would run down the sides into a trough. It was a very bloody sacrifice, but that's what was required. Ephesians 1.7 says this to us, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So our redemption comes through the blood, his shed blood on the cross. Matthew 26.28 says this, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out, for many, for the forgiveness of sins. So Matthew's telling us there that the blood had to be poured out for forgiveness. So there is a crucial and inexorable link between blood and forgiveness. And God has purchased our forgiveness. Now, if you are here this morning and you are in Christ, which means you have accepted Christ as your Savior, and that you are in Christ, you are counting on him for your eternal destiny, then you are forgiven. If that is your position in Christ, you are forgiven. Can you say that with me? I am forgiven. You are forgiven. Now, if you have not made that decision this morning, you are not forgiven. You are still, as the scripture said, dead in your trespasses and sins. So this morning, if you have not made that decision, if you have not become under that covering of the blood and received God's total forgiveness, I would urge you, I would beg you to make that decision before this day is gone, because I'll tell you something you already know. We're not guaranteed tomorrow, are we? Anybody here have control of the future? Only God knows what's going to happen. So if you have not come to that place, please come talk to me. Please come talk to Pastor Eric. Come talk to Pastor Mike. Talk to somebody about your eternal destiny because so you can enjoy the complete and total forgiveness that God has given to those of us who are in Christ Jesus. One of my favorite verses in Scripture is Romans 8.1, which says this, There is now no more condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No more condemnation. I, have, I am no longer under the condemnation of God because I am Christ Jesus. I am forgiven. All right, I got a question for you. Do you understand how much you've been forgiven? Do you understand how much? God has forgiven us the past, the future, and our present sins. He's covered everything I've done in the past. He is covering what I'm doing right now that's wrong. He's going to cover every sin in the future. He knows how, how many dumb things I'm going to do next week, and it's already taken care of. It's covered, completely taken care of. Do we understand that? Because sometimes I think as believers, we, we think we're pretty nice people and we don't understand how filthy, dirty we are. We are all sinners. Whether your biggest offense was jaywalking or you're a serial murderer, it doesn't matter to God. We have all fallen short of the glory of God and we are sinners. Can you say that with me? I am a sinner. I am a sinner. Dan Haffey is a sinner. And I am in need of God's forgiveness and grace. Listen to what it says here in Isaiah 118. It says, Come now, let us settle this matter. Says the Lord, though your sins be like scarlet, they will become as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. So this passage is telling us, even though my sins were just filthy, crimson, bloody, with their nastiness, he wiped it all clean like wool and like the driven snow. 
We didn't get much snow this year, did we? I kind of missed that. Remember that one time they said we're going to get all this snow? All we got was rain. I didn't have a problem with that because I don't have to shovel rain. So I was good with that. But I love it when it first snows because that whiteness just descends and just blankets the earth and blankets the trees, and it's so beautiful and pristine. That is what our sin, and what happens to our sin, is made white and totally gone completely. Now, how many of you ever gotten a stain on your carpet and you tried to get it out? Anybody have cats and dogs? You know, they, have, they are the worst on the house, aren't they? You know? What is it with the fur balls? I, I don't even get that. Yeah, so we, we, the stains get on carpets from critters, right? So you get out your cleaning materials and you clean it all up and you can get out the big uh, the vacuum thing, the scrubber, and, and guess what happens when you're all done? You can still see it, can't you? It's really not all gone. And I walk by that spot and go, yeah, didn't get that one. I may have gotten most of it out. I may have gotten 90% of it out, but I didn't get it all out because we can't take all our sins out, but God takes care of a stain until it looks like it was never there as though it never happened. It's 100% gone, not 90% gone, not even 95% gone. When he forgives, it's total and complete. There's nothing left. You can't see it. Question number two. Do you understand how completely you have been forgiven? How completely you have been forgiven? Psalms 103, 8 to 12 says this, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he humble or harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Guys, what do we really deserve? Death. We deserve death. That should be our penalty for our sins. He has not given us, not treated us according to what our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. God does not repay us. He does not wreak revenge on us because of our sins. Isn't that a good thing? Because if he didn't, none of us would be here this morning. I'd be a grease spot out there someplace if God repaid me for my sins. And he doesn't do that. He says here, for as high as the heavens are above the earth. That's a long way, isn't it? So great is his love for those who fear him. That's how huge his love is. As far as the east is from the west. Now let's think about that a second. How far is the east from the west? You ever thought about that? I want you to stay up tonight thinking about that. How far is the east from the west? Can we agree it's a long way? We guess like a long, long way apart? That is how far he removes our sins from him. That's how far he moves. He takes them away so far as the east is from the west. Isaiah 43, 25 says this, God blots out my transgressions for his sake and remembers my sin no more. He doesn't even remember it. He puts it out of his mind. It's gone. He can't even get to it. Now, let me be clear here, guys. We're not God. Is that true? Can you agree with me on that? Come on, shake your head. It's okay. Let me know you're awake, too. We are not God, so we cannot forget. Have you ever heard someone say, forgive and forget? Tell them I said that's baloney. We can't forget. We remember. And I think there's a reason why God wants us to remember, because we need to remember who it is that hurts us so that we can avoid them the next time. Does that make sense? Somebody likes to kick me. I want to remember who that is. So I see him coming down the road. I'm going to go the other way. I don't want to get kicked. Does that make sense? But we cannot forget. We have memories. Some memories are better than others. All right, let me give you a test here. Of, of the two parties, the husband or the wife, who do you think remembers the best? The wife. Someone's one for the wife. Pretty much. Not only does she remember what you said, guys, verbatim, she knows where you were standing and what you were wearing. Now, that's a little frightening, isn't it? Because the guys are saying, I don't even remember that happening. I'm not even sure that even happened. And she remembers everything. <laughs> I think it's just a gift God gives you, or a curse. It depends on 
who you are, right? So we can't forget. We remember things, but God says he will remember them no more. He sends them away. They're gone for good. Micah 7.19 says, God has compassion on me. He treads my sins underfoot and hurls my iniquities into the depths of the sea. He throws them away. He steps on them. That's how he treats our iniquities when he forgives us. He throws them into the bottom of the sea. So let me say this to you, and I hope you'll hear this, guys. You will not be a forgiver until you understand how much and how completely you are forgiven. If we don't understand how much we've been forgiven, we're not going to be very good forgivers, are we? The deeper I understand just what a complete and total loser I am and what a sinner I am, then that will give me a deeper sense of what I've been forgiven, and it will make it a whole lot easier to forgive you guys when you mess up. Does that make sense to you? But if I think I haven't done anything that bad, jaywalking's probably the worst, then I'm not going to be much of a forgiver. In fact, I'm going to attack you when you do something as offensive because you're so much worse than I am. How's that for a prideful statement? That's why it's so important you understand that whether, no matter what you think of yourself and whether you think you're a pretty good person or not, God says you are a sinner and you, the penalty is death. And unless you are forgiven by him, that's what you have coming. None of us are any better than anyone else. So you will not be a forgiver until you understand how much and how completely you have been forgiven. All right, let's read the parable of the unmerciful servant. This is out of Matthew 18, 21. I'm going to read this to you out of the message because I like what it says here. The parable of the unmerciful servant says this, At that point, Peter got up the nerve to ask. Now, you've got to love Peter. He's always getting up the nerve to ask something, isn't he? He's a piece of work, right? Anybody identify with Peter? Yeah, he's, he's, he's great. I love Peter. He's just always up into it, right? Cutting off people's ears and... He's just an amazing guy. So he's getting up the nerve there. And here's what he says to Jesus. Master, how many times do I forgive a brother or sister who hurts me? Seven? Now, you've got to understand something. Back in the rabbinic code said that you only had to forgive someone three times. That was their code. They came up with this. I don't know where they got that number. Three times you only had to forgive somebody. Now, here's Peter going, hey, Lord. How about seven? I'll double it and add one. What an amazingly generous, forgiving kind of dude I am. Listen to what Christ says to him. Jesus replies, seven? Hardly. Try 70 times seven. So Peter thought he was being generous, and Jesus is going, you missed a point entirely. It's not even 490, is he? Then he tells the story. He says this, the kingdom of God is like a king who decided to square off his accounts with his servants. As he got underway, one servant was brought before him who had run up a debt of $100,000. That's a lot of money today. Imagine how much money that was back in those days. That's a lot of coin. But he couldn't pay up. He didn't have the money. But he owed the debt. So the king ordered the man, along with his wife, children, and goods, to be auctioned off at the slave market. Now, aren't you glad, glad they don't do that these days? If you got in debt, they wouldn't auction off your stuff, your kids? Well, maybe, I don't know. It depends on how you feel about your kids, I suppose, but... But that's what they did back in those days, and they could do that. And the poor wretch, this uh, servant, threw himself at the king's feet and begged for mercy. He says, give me a chance, and I'll pay it all back. Well, what do you think the chances are of this guy paying it all back? Not great. Not great. But he, he threw himself at the mercy of the king, and the king, touched by his plea, felt compassion for this servant, and the king let him off, erasing his debt. He didn't send him for credit counseling. He didn't set him up with a payment plan. He didn't cut half of it off. He erased it. He just let it go. He, he blotted it out. He deleted it. It's gone. He lavishly just did away with the whole thing, which is exactly how God has forgiven us. 
He hasn't given us a little bit. He's given it all. We're given every last bit of it. So, so the king has this amazing grace for this servant, for this, this wretched servant. Now, this, this dude doesn't get it. This guy's a slow learner. So he walks out. Servant was no longer out of the room when he came upon one of his fellow servants owed him ten dollars. Ten bucks. And here's what happened then. He seized him by the throat and demanded, pay up now. So the unmerciful servant grabs one of his colleagues, throws him up against the wall, says, pay up now. And the poor wretch threw himself down and begged, give me a chance and I'll pay it back. But he wouldn't do it. He had him arrested and put in jail until the debt was paid. Now when the other servants, his fellow servants, heard what was going on, they were enraged and they brought a detailed report to the king. So the king summons the unmerciful servant and said, you evil servant. I forgave your entire debt when you begged me for mercy. Shouldn't you be compelled to be merciful to your fellow servant who asked for mercy? The king was furious and put the screws to the man until he paid back the entire debt. And that's exactly what my father in heaven is going to do to you if you do not forgive unconditionally those who ask for mercy. Did you catch that last sentence? Hold on to that. We're going to come back to that. That's a very important statement. That's a very important teaching. So the point of the story here is that if we understand God's total and complete forgiveness for us, we would be compelled, we would be moved to forgive the smaller offenses of people around us, things that happen in daily life, your family. Anybody ever get offended in your family? Anybody ever said you rude to anybody? Adjust your halos, please. Something like that. They're, they're rusted, in fact. We say stuff to each other. We hurt each other. And if it's not your family, it's going to be somebody at work. It's going to be somebody on the freeway. We can't walk through this world without being offended. So, that, so we need to be quick to be compelled because we understand we're forgiven. But again, we're not going to be forgivers until we understand how completely and totally we've been forgiven by God. Number two here, I'm a forgiver because God commands me to forgive. The scripture's pretty clear here. It's not a suggestion. It's not a good idea. It's not a tip of the week. It is a commandment that he has for us. Luke 17, 30 through 4 says, If a brother or sister sins against you, that's one of, one of us here, one of us who, who know the Lord, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. You must forgive them. Even if they do it to you seven times. That's pretty annoying though, isn't it? But you must forgive them. There's two other verses about forgiveness. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive what grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Do you see the connection here? I'm to forgive because the Lord forgave me. And again in Ephesians 4.32, he says, Be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So we forgive just as we were forgiven. Very, very important principle here. So I am a forgiver because God commands me to forgive. So what does forgiveness look like? Anybody know what it looks like? Anybody ever been forgiven by somebody else? Yeah? I think it was about 10 years ago. It does happen. But let me start with what it is not, what things forgiveness is not. Number one, it's not condoning. It's not saying it was okay what you did to me. It's not saying it wasn't a bad thing. It's not denying that it was hurtful. In fact, it's saying the opposite. It said the offense was so bad that forgiveness needs to come into play here. It's not condoning what the person did. It's not minimizing it either. It's not saying, yeah, it was just a flesh wound. Don't worry about it. I've got another arm. That's not how we handle those things. It's not minimizing it. We're not excusing it either. I don't want anybody saying, well, that's just Pastor Dan. That's how he acts. I said, nothing being done about it. I don't want you to do that. If I've offended you, you come tell me. Come confront me about what I've done. Don't minimize it. Pretend like it didn't happen or didn't hurt you. 
That's not truthful, is it? It also is not stuffing. Anybody know what stuffing means? It's like what you put in the turkey, right? No, I'm thinking of something a little more emotional in nature. I have been around folks who believe that it is their Christian duty to take all the offenses that come to them in the course of their life and stuff them someplace. They've kind of taken that turn-the-cheek thing way, way too far. And they don't deal with anything, and people hurt them, and they stuff them down there, and they just keep on smiling. Do you think that's going to work? How many think that's going to work? What do you think is going to happen eventually? Well, first, let me be clear here. It's going to leak around the edges. You can't stuff offenses and the hurtful things that happen and, and not expect them to leak out somewhere. Let me tell you guys, if you are struggling with anger, you might need to take a look at what offenses have happened to you you haven't dealt with. So if you find yourself kicking the dog and slamming the door, you might need to ask yourself, what is I've stuffed down there? What is there? What's leaking? Because it's coming out from somewhere. Stuffing does not work. Forgiveness is also not necessarily reconciliation. Let's go back to that person who's kicking me. If somebody is committed to kicking me for whatever reasons, and I don't understand that, I, I can't have a relationship with someone who's committed to kicking me, can I? I need to learn how to avoid them. So I need to remember who they are and avoid them. I can't have a relationship with someone who's committed to kicking me. Some of you have offenses you need to forgive from people who it is not a good idea or even possible to have a relationship with. Some of the people we need to forgive are actually dead and gone or they're out of our lives. We still need to forgive them, but we cannot have a relationship with them. So forgiveness and reconciliation are two separate processes. Sometimes reconciliation is not a good idea. It's not even possible. If it is possible, God wants us to reconcile, doesn't he? But that means both parties have to understand the offense and, being, and be able to ask for forgiveness to receive it so there can be a reconciliation. And he's given us that ministry of reconciliation, but sometimes it's not possible to, to be reconciled. Forgiveness is a process in a transaction. What does that mean, Dan? What it means is this. Forgiveness sometimes takes time. Is that true? If you accidentally step on my toe, I can let that one go pretty quickly. But if you do something really, really hurtful to me, it's going to take me some time. In my own life, it took me three years to learn to forgive or, be, or more accurately allow God to show me how to forgive someone who'd really hurt me. Three years. You say, well, I'm a slow learner. Well, maybe I am. But it took me three years before I could truly release that offense and let it go. Because that's how long it took for God to work in my heart. So sometimes it takes time. Secondly, we've got to understand that we've got to do a damage assessment. It worries me sometimes when something really bad happens and the person who's offended goes, it's okay, I forgive you. I go, really? You, you haven't even felt it yet. Man, you, you, you thought I'd wait five minutes until the, the pain kicks in before you forgive somebody. And my sense of that is it's more about them not wanting to have some offense than it is actually truly forgiving. I have to do damage assessment. I've got to see how much you damaged me before I can truly forgive you. Because what would I be forgiving you for if I forgive too quickly? Does that make sense to you? We need to understand the hurt so I can truly forgive and let it go completely and don't prematurely forgive somebody. And let me say this to you. Forgiveness is not a natural act. Did you understand that we don't want to forgive? It's not natural for us to want to forgive people. What's our natural reaction when people hurt us? Anybody? Right? If I walked over and poked you in the nose... But the first thing that came to your mind, it says, I forgive, Dan. If it is, you're, you're a much better person than I am. No, it's not. We want to get them back, don't we? Poke me, I poke you. Eye for an eye. That's what that's all about. We don't want to forgive. And I want you to understand that forgiveness is something that is a supernatural act where God allows us to extend forgiveness because I have been forgiven. And if I miss that forgiven part, 
I'm not going to want to forgive you. But I'm compelled to forgive you because God has forgiven me so much and you do something minor to me, I need to forgive you because God has forgiven me, not because I feel like forgiving you. We also have to choose to consciously give up our fleshly desire for revenge. Yeah? Tell you what, if you want to watch movies, ever seen a good revenge movie? Like, you know, somebody does something to somebody else and they spend the rest of the movie getting them back? Well, that's not how God wants us to play it. I'm pretty sure about that. It it means giving up consciously, choosing to give up our right for revenge. So what that means is I choose to give up that, quote, right to get revenge. It also means I don't bring it up again. If you've forgiven me for something and every time I'm with you, you bring it up, I'm going to start wondering if you've really forgiven me. Yes? You say, remember 1984? You said something really bad to me? Yikes. Let it go. I'm not feeling the forgiveness there, am I? So, I mean, we have to consciously let it go. That doesn't mean I forget it. Some things I can't forget, but I do have to choose to consciously forgive and let it go. So what does that look like? What does a forgiveness transaction look like? How many have kids? Anybody have kids? I'm sorry. <laughs> but remember, kids get in fights, don't they? Kids, our, our two boys would get in fights sometimes. And usually by the time Rachel and I got there, we had no idea who started it. This isn't CSI. We have no video cameras. I don't know who started it. I'm sure they both were guilty, correct? That's usually how that worked. Okay, so you say to one party, you say to one of the kids, I want you to tell your brother you're sorry. All right, wait for it. Sorry. Isn't that what you get? Sorry. I'm doubting the sincerity here. Call me a cynical if you will, but I'm kind of doubting the sincerity there. So that apology thing I think is pretty lame. And what we adopted in our family was this whole issue of asking and requesting forgiveness. I think it's such a more biblical way to go about it. So I can't give some flippant sorry. I have to say, will you forgive me? Wow. That's hard. Why is that hard? Because I'm admitting that I'm a schmuck. I did something bad to you. And I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm taking the chance that you'll say, forget about it, dude. You're going to be on the hook for the next 20 years. Yeah, I'm taking that chance when I ask you to forgive me. But if you choose to extend forgiveness to me, we now have a transaction. I asked forgiveness, you extended it to me. We can be reconciled. And more often than not, I need to go the other direction too. I needed to be asked to be a forgiver. So I forgive, and now we can be reconciled. I'm a a big fan of that transaction model. I think it works so much better because that's how it did with us. I got to the point in my life where I asked God to forgive me, and he forgave me graciously and lavishly. I think that works a lot better than the apologize to your brother. Sorry. Romans 12, 19 says this about revenge. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Where it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, saith Pastor Dan. No, that's not right. It says, I will repay, says the Lord. Why is it so important that we allow God to to repay the things that have happened to us? Number one, do you trust him that he's going to take care of business? There's part of the serenity prayer extended that some of you may not have heard before. Anybody familiar with the serenity prayer? There's a rest of it that says this. It says, I surrender to your will. No, wait a minute. I've got to get this right here. Um, Well, the the whole point was that if we surrender to his will, he will make all things right in the end. Do you believe that? Do you believe he's a just God? Or do you think you have to take care of business yourself? And I've run into people who think it's their job to go around righting all the wrongs in the world. Good luck with that. And this passage is saying very clearly, I'll take care of it. You don't seek revenge. I will repay, says God. I'll take care of that. 
All right, number three, I'm a forgiver because unforgiveness leads to the spiritual cancer of bitterness. Let me say it again. I'm a forgiver because unforgiveness leads to the spiritual cancer of bitterness. Anybody ever met a bitter person? I know a few. It's so ugly. Let me tell you what happens here. Hebrews 12, 15 says, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. It says, See to it you don't... You don't go past that short of the, the grace of God there, but so this root will grow up. It starts with unforgiveness. Do you get this? If I choose not to forgive somebody, I'm taking a chance, a huge chance, that that's going to grow into a root of bitterness and destroy me and destroy others around me. Because bitterness is ugly. The metaphor I like using with that is we lived in a town one time where there's a lot of big trees right by the sidewalk, and over the, over the years those roots of that tree would push the concrete of that heavy concrete of the sidewalk up and just displace it. That's the power of a root. It didn't happen overnight. It took years, but it will happen. It's crucial that you keep your decks clear, guys. It's crucial that you be forgivers so that you don't take the chance of becoming a bitter person because that bitterness growing up will destroy many, including your own spiritual life with God. Bitterness cuts us off from people and cuts us off from God. All right, let me define bitterness for you. Here's how I come up with it. I said, Forgiveness, I'm sorry, bitterness defined rather is unforgiveness that grows into a festering resentment toward the offender that is nurtured and fed until it spreads to everyone and results in a life of entrenched, self inflicted misery. Does that sound attractive to you? Are we, are we having fun yet? Did you get that? If we don't forgive and we allow it to fester, because unforgiveness picks up more unforgiveness. And pretty soon we've got this huge amount of unforgiveness we've not dealt with. We've not commit, forgiven that person, and it gets big, and it gets ugly, and it takes over our life. I've met people who are bitter, and they don't even remember why they're bitter. They're just bitter. They hate everybody. They hate you. They hate anybody who looks like you. And it's so, so destructive spiritually. It cuts us off from God. Listen to this in Matthew six fifteen: For if you forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you. Remember back to the last verse in that parable of the unmerciful servant? It said that if you don't forgive others, Heavenly Father's not going to forgive you. It says, this is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. Are you guys forgivers? Do you forgive others? Because your forgiveness, and I'm not talking about your eternal destiny, and I'm talking about your salvation, I'm talking about your relationship, is based on whether you choose to forgive others. Because if I don't forgive you, God's not going to forgive me. That's serious business. Think about that. Man, there's some things I'd like to wipe out of Scripture. That's one of them because that scares me. That means I've got to be forgiving. I've got to make sure I keep my decks clear or my own sins will just pile up because God said if I don't do my part, he's not going to do his. Listen to this from the message. The message says this. In prayer, there's a connection between what God does and what you do. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. If you refuse to do your part, your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. So guys, are you forgivers? Are you keeping your decks clear? If I could look inside your heart today, would I see just a clean place there where all these offenses could be? You keep them on moving through? Because we can't walk through life without being offended and hurt, can we? In little and small and huge ways. Because your own forgiveness is dependent on whether you forgive. The scripture is pretty clear here. Forgiveness also includes forgiving ourselves. Anybody struggle with self-forgiveness? Yes? 
We can forgive everybody else, but not me. You don't understand, God. I'm, I'm an exceptional case. You really don't get how bad I am. I'm going to be over in a corner beating myself up. That's one of my uh, issues. I can be pretty hard on myself. But here's what I've come to understand about trying to atone for our sins. It's like I'm trying to help God forgive me. Do you think God needs my help? I don't think he needs my help at all. I think his sacrifice on the cross covered everything, past, present, and future. And the issue is mine when I insist on being a specially bad guy who needs to be beat up by me. Might even invite you to join me. Because the problem with that is what? It leads me to self-pity. It leads me to this selfishness that's that's turned in on me. Because I'm busy atoning for my own sins when Christ has done it once and for all years ago. That is totally heretical, dude. That is just wrong in six languages. I want you to take a peek at this. Anybody remember the Beverly Hillbillies? Man, Beverly Hillbillies, black and white. Beverly Hillbillies. You're going to see Granny here really struggling with what I just said. So we can run that clip. I sure wish I could invite you into the kitchen for some coffee and victuals, but Granny's so mean and cantankerous when it comes to... Pearl, forgive me. I'm the one that set the law on you. Please forgive me, Pearl. I'm so ashamed. Forgive me, Pearl. Don't let Jim throw me out of the class. You set the law on me? Oh, I'm low, Pearl. Awful low and mean. Step on me, Pearl. Step on me. Step on me like you would a worm. Drop on me. Grind your feet on me. Where do you get up out of there? Mr. Policeman, run over me. I don't deserve to live. Run over me and throw my poor old mean body to the buzzard. All right, Granny, now that's enough. Forgive me yet. Mr. Policeman, give your gun to Pearl and let her shoot me. Don't stop that. Put a curse on me, Pearl. I forgive you. I forgive you. But I deserve to be punished and punished bad. Sing to me, Pearl. Maybe Pearl done said she forgives you. Am I taken back to the clan? Am I welcome to the bosom of my family? I reckon... You can have anything I got anytime. You can have any part of my kitchen. Throw me out of it. Set the dogs on me. Okay, so take your grinding into the house, please. Sure, Ma. Did you want her? No, I didn't want her. Walk me, Pearl. Oh, Jesus. I'm in the house. Come on in the house and walk me, Pearl. <laughs> So let's not be like Granny. Granny was unclear on the concept. She was forgiven, but she wasn't taking that in, was she? She was trying to add something to it. Run over me, Mr. Policeman. And we can laugh at that, and it's funny, but I'm here to tell you there are folks that are here this morning who really struggle with self-condemnation. And I'm going to suggest to you, you read Romans 8.1 every day of your life if you struggle with that. Because it's clear that there's now no, no, no more condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It's done. It's over. You've been forgiven. And beating yourself up is just going to lead to a really bad spiritual place. So God wants us to be forgivers. Let's remember what the big idea here was. I am forgiven, so I am a forgiver. Can you guys say that with me, please? I am forgiven, so I am a forgiver. Now, is that true of all of us? Can you guys search your heart today? We're going to go into the bread and cup here in just a minute. But I want you to think about it. Are you really forgivers? Are you quick to release the offenses of others around you, your brothers, your sisters, your husband, 
your wife, your extended family. I, I know families can be obnoxious. I get it. I have a family. But we are to release those offenses and be forgivers because God's forgiven us so much. How can we hang on to the little stuff? And yet it's our nature to want to hold on, isn't it? We need to keep that as a constant matter of prayer because God wants us to have a lifestyle that represents our understanding of forgiveness as being a huge piece of our identity in Christ. My identity in Christ is that I'm forgiven. That's huge. Where would I be today if I weren't forgiving? I'd be on the fast track to hell, I'm here to tell you. But because God has forgiven me, I experience all the lavish grace and mercy that he has given me. And it's my responsibility, it's my spiritual duty to extend that to all of you and you to me. Because I'm sure at some time I will offend you. All right? As Pastor Mike comes up to lead us in the, in the bread and cup, I'm going to offer a prayer here for you. So if I can ask you to bow your heads. And I want you to, I want you to really concentrate here, guys, this morning as you... Go before God. I want you to ask the Spirit to show you who you have not forgiven. I I don't believe in a room this size that there aren't people in your life who you have not released. I can't believe that there aren't people in your life you still want to get revenge on, that you have not chosen to let go. So, Father and God, I just pray that you would work by your Spirit in each one of the lives and hearts of those here this morning, that you would, would make them into forgivers. Show them in every way that you can, God, just how much they've been forgiven and how important it is that they forgive others around them freely and completely and totally. So, Father, make us into a church of forgivers, and so that we will never forget that I am forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor Dan. I am forgiven, therefore, I am a forgiver. The scriptures and the theme lead well into the celebration of the bread and the cup. Why do we, here at Grace, why does any church do the remembrance or the celebration of the bread and the cup? Well, here's why. We're forgetful people. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Lord had the Apostle Paul say, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes back again. Until the Lord returns for his children, we are to proclaim the death and resurrection of the Lord. We're to remember what it cost. It cost Jesus' broken body on that, on that kind of cross. It cost Jesus' shed blood flowing down for the forgiveness of my sins and your sins. And so therefore... We do this act of worship of the bread and cup. Now allow me just some words of explanation for the sake of understanding, especially if you're newer here. We here at Grace uh, will have people serving. You're welcome to come into your places, uh, those who are serving. And they'll have trays of both the bread and the cup. And so when you come here to any one of these four people, you take a piece of bread, please, and a cup, okay? And you are welcome then after you take that to kneel down here at this altar or kneel over here at the cross, maybe as a family, maybe as a couple, maybe you're all alone. Maybe you want to cluster with some friends off to the side or back at your seat and just have quiet prayer, reflection, even on what Pastor Dan challenged you and me. Is there someone 
that we need to let go of offenses and forgive. Maybe that's something you want to ask the Lord to show you as you have this quiet prayer. A couple of more things. Here at Grace, we do not require you to be a member of the church. The Bible guideline is for people who participate, who receive the bread and cup. It's simply people who know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. So if you've trusted in Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you're welcome to participate, whether you're a member or not here at Grace Church. If you've not yet made that trust in Christ as Savior and Lord, I invite you to trust in Christ right now as Savior and Lord. You can accept him right now, and that free gift of forgiveness and salvation in Christ is yours alone. If you're not ready for that very significant decision, then I encourage, we encourage you based on the Bible to simply not participate. If there are children with you, if you will lead them through this, whether or not they participate, parents and guardians, you guide them. That is up to you as God leads you. Another thing is when you take the bread and cup and go off to the side or kneel here or back to your seats. We don't have a set time where, okay, everyone now will eat the bread and drink the cup. There won't be a statement. As the Holy Spirit of God directs you and you're prepared, you eat the bread and drink the cup. Let's pray. Father, may this be one of the most meaningful acts of worship as we have seen the scriptures of how you've forgiven us through Christ the Lord. May the symbols that are powerful and real of the shed blood, the cup, of the broken body, the bread, may it remind us as never before of the full payment for my sins, for our sins. In Christ's name we pray, amen. God bless you as you partake of the bread and cup.